So this is the third and final installment to our Spike Lee conversation. Parts one and two are available. And uh, this conversation pretty much picks up right where part two left off. So hope you heard part two and uh, enjoy. Please be advised. The Kind of Movie Critics podcast may contain spoilers. This includes most of the movies you're going to want to see. This shit also contains profanity. So there's that. Enjoy. All right. So we talked about the statement pieces in in Spike Lee's career. We talked about the black experience commentary in Spike Lee's career. The great Spike Lee. I'm sorry. I need to proceed that. The great Spike Lee here. Let's jump into his documentary work, man. And, um, uh, you know, I, I think his documentary work has this texture that's almost just as comprehensive as his films. Like, even the subjects that he chooses to do documentaries on. You know, I, uh, he seems to be pretty selective and pretty specific and I mean, like any filmmaker, but even his documentaries follow his brand is what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got in his documentary films, Four Little Girls, which is about the, uh, isn't that the, the Alabama um, the church, bombing. church bombing? That was the catalyst for um, the marches. Yeah, the marches, yep. Mm-hmm. And then we have uh, When the Levees Broke, which is about Hurricane Katrina. Mm-hmm. Um, and then If God is Willing and the Creek Don't Rise, which is apparently the second... This is the companion piece. Yeah, it's the companion piece to the to when the levees broke, and then Bad Twenty Five, which I I actually didn't know anything about. Did until, you watch it though? No, I haven't watched you Bad Twenty Five. Yeah, Michael Jackson. Yeah, it's about the twenty fifth anniversary of the Bad album. Yeah, I didn't watch that. I it came not, on ABC. You guys are horrible. I need to see that. Now I watched the um, Journey from Motown to Off the Wall. Well, we'll just talk about Michael Jackson documentary. Yeah, man, which I really like that one. The, the journey from Motown to off. Learned some really cool things about Michael Jackson, man. Like, you, you know, the, me and Marcus talk about this. There is a part in that Michael Jackson, the journey from Motown to off the wall, where they talk about a letter that Michael Jackson wrote to, I want to say, his the rest of his family, where he was basically like, I think when he started hitting the stride musically and he started understanding the construct of what it takes to be an artist, he was he wrote a letter basically saying, I want to be the biggest star in the world. I want to like it, it, it was just it was a moment that like you never think that a mogul like a mogul like Michael Jackson will have, which is he wasn't that mogul yet, but he visualized it. And he and he, he claimed it. He claimed it. He wrote it down in a letter. It's the equivalent of a vision board. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? He wrote it down. He sent it to somebody. He put it out there in the world. And that's exactly what the hell happened. But I just felt like that was a real humility moment because we're talking about a Michael Jackson who had not hit that stride. I mean, he was he was definitely revered, you know, in, in the world and he had his position, but he wasn't the great Michael Jackson that he died being, you know what I'm saying? So I just, I thought that was a really good moment in the, in the Journey from Motown documentary. But we listen, you know. I don't know. That was me going off on a on a wild. I don't think tangent. that's a wild tangent. Yeah. Um, being that I'm the only one that's seen Bad Twenty Five, we can't really banter about it. And I haven't seen that one either. But I felt like him capturing Michael Jackson's vision for that album mm-hmm. and talking to all the people around him and how they all contributed to it and seeing where things came from. So, like, fun story. I had no idea who Annie was in Smooth Criminal and learned that she was a CPR dummy. Mm. <laughs> so, wow. and, and as part that. of them teaching CPR, they tell you to ask the person, are they okay? Oh, that's dope. And so the CPR dummy's name was Annie, and he's, Annie, are you okay? So he, I'm he, full of fun facts. He wrote that? 
See, Baby, he... how you okay? Yeah. See, I didn't know he wrote a lot of his Would music. Would you tell us that you're okay? <laughs> <laughs> wow, that's kind of that's kind of weird though. You're singing to a CPR doll. I think it's one of those fun things that you know. I've heard a fun story about what is the song with Gwen Stefani that Pharrell produced, um, "Hollaback Girl." Yeah. I've mm-hmm. heard a fun story about where the hell that came from. That I'll tell you off mic. But right. like musicians do shit like that all the time, right. where it's right. a it's a it's a fun Easter Some, egg for them. Well, sometimes it just sounds cool. Yeah. Sometimes <laughs> it's like you don't gotta okay. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. I know what I'm talking about. It's, it's my favorite music video of all time. Smooth Criminal. Yeah, I love it. nice. It's the reason why I got into like music videos. Smooth wow. Criminal. Yeah. Smooth Criminal I, I made you idea. become a, a like a music video videographer. Yeah. Or uh, well, I was five at the time, but I mean, it, like it I want to do that. It was the first thing that I was like, oh, like, oh. Like, oh <laughs> He's when, leaning when his phone. Yeah, yeah, like I, I remember you. as a kid being like, magnetic Whoa, shoes. What the. Fuck? Like mm-hmm. I'm watching all his music videos at that time were very just made me go right y'all on some others y'all mm-hmm. on some, all the other music videos don't look like this that, that was the best part about MTV yeah. late at night just seeing those Michael Jackson mm-hmm. videos real talk I used to watch a lot that, I mean that that was my original goal in my career was to do music videos huh. so which I've done you. several that that's how I your name rung a bell for me doing music Aww. videos a long time ago thanks went with a different guy. <laughs> But just picking with you, your face right now. I was like, <laughs> your name came up though. Um, awesome. Yeah, I I just think that he, you know, I don't know how much we need to talk about Michael Jackson, but in terms of what Spike did in executing that documentary and talking to the people that he talked to and and get lending significance and tying in some of the gaps creatively that maybe weren't aware of things like Andy being a CPR doll and where songs came from and people collaborating with him and what that looked like and Mm -hmm. some of the things that you saw him doing, like a lot of the like onomatopoeia of him like scatting and beating on himself while he's like, um, I, I think like... And so I'm sure someone will correct me if I'm wrong. Like when you hear him like a lot, um, them explaining where that came from and like some, you know, him not really figuring out the lyrics yet. And that's what that is. Right. And sometimes it sounds cool and they keep it. Right. Yeah. So um, I don't know. I really appreciated Spike for capturing Mike and all of his artistry and what that significance and importance is without having to indulge in any of the sensationalism of, you know, what the tabloids did to him as a Agreed. person and his his grand aside. So Agreed. shout out to Spike for respecting Mike. Yeah. Well, that's that that's what was to me when I look at the list of the documentaries that we put on the documentary list, I almost feel like one, it's definitely in line with his brand, which mm-hmm. is, you know, uh some sort of black perspective. And I and and I would go as far as to say that he probably chooses these because he's legitimately interested in them. I know that sounds stupid to say. No, that it sound- doesn't sound stupid. I think that's the best reason to make a documentary. Yeah, but like, you know, and then he attaches himself to it and pulls out the morsel of things that he's really concerned about. But you know what you I know? didn't even pay attention to until you just said that, like, drawing a parallel between Four Little Girls mm-hmm. and um, his Katrina pieces, as well as Michael Jackson. Him telling you the story from people who experienced it. Right. So watching four little girls, their surviving s- siblings are a big part of telling who those little girls were and Absolutely. experiencing them as children 
um, alongside them. Because, you know, those girls' parents aren't real t- around to still tell that. But, you know, your parent experiences you completely differently than, than your, your sibling, sibling does. Yep. And I think your <laughs> sibling would be able to speak to what kind of child you were from another child's perspective. Right. Um, without the formalities of having to be respectful like you are with an adult. Absolutely. You get into your basis self. And the same thing with the, the creatives and the Michael Jackson um, documentary, the people being there with him who experienced it with him and not talking about it from an abstract, like theoretical perspective. They were in it, experiencing it. Mm-hmm. And with the Katrina documentary, of course, he talked to you know, a bunch of people in politics and business and commerce, but he went down there and talked to people who, who lived it, who were displaced and who were there experiencing it firsthand and being able to tell you, this is how I'm affected by this big decision. This person made, this is what it looks like for a real person on the ground. Mm -hmm. Very much. And I think those two documentaries, um, really kind of make you think about just Spike Lee's position, you know, as a filmmaker, um, like, and how much, we wouldn't have without them. Like I feel like, uh, like with four little girls, that's something that we probably glossed over in history class. But see, I didn't know anything about it until that documentary. Mm-hmm. And it's again, they, they like I feel like that's something we never even talk about in the culture. And I feel like without Spike Lee, we just wouldn't have that. We wouldn't have a lot of this stuff. And um, when the levees broke, um, that was a uh, when we were down in New Orleans and we decided to uh, shoot a little short film. That was actually a big inspiration. Uh, for, for me, like kind of viewing that and actually seeing the real uh, people kind of talk about what they actually went through because I feel like what I got from the media during that time, I felt like there was a disconnect. I feel like everyone was made to look like criminals and stuff like that. Mm. We didn't get any. Those people were just ride. trying to stay alive. They were trying to stay alive. And you don't understand what it's like when the world, as you know, it just doesn't work that way anymore. When your house is gone, when everything is gone. You have you no have access to communication right. or no, technology. Exactly. And, and resources are limited and they're having to decide who gets to live or die. Right. And exactly. how do you do that? Exactly. And the politics around it and the fact that the history of what happened during Katrina happened you know, in the 60s, right. same thing happened where they um, apparently they destroyed um, some sort of wall or whatever to let the water come in and flood out the, uh, you know, the uh, poorer neighborhoods mm-hmm. and stuff like that. So I didn't know that. Uh, yeah, that, that's that's a big part that they're kind of going over yeah, in the well, documentary. They really and, in the documentary for yeah. sure. Mm. Yeah, they never they, they never talk about that stuff. So, I mean, again, if Spike wasn't saying it, nobody else would nobody be. Nobody would. Yeah, that's the truth. And just to give context to what Jesse was talking about, in 2015, he actually directed a, a short film called Hope Ain't Help. And I'm I'm going to make sure that we put the link in the bio. Oh, you just read the... my mind. I think we need to share that, if that's okay with you, Jesse. Oh, yeah, no, oh, no. absolutely. Okay. And, it, and the film was about one man's perspective who was actually involved in Hurricane Katrina. It's about a 15-minute short film. I w- I'm going to make sure we put the link in the bio of the episode so you guys can kind of check it out. But, yeah, I, I agree with you 100%, Jesse. Like, if it wasn't for Spike Lee, I think a lot of things that happen um, in our culture will never really get talked about up until this point, you know, um, and, and, and things outside of gang violence mm-hmm. or, you know, traditional things that, or the civil rights movement, or even, the civil rights yeah, movement. like, yeah. I, you know, you, I didn't know about the, the, the church bombing until this was brought up and it was a catalyst for so much of for what so happened much. after, right? Exactly. And so, you know, you're right. If who would tell these stories if he wasn't telling them, mm-hmm. um, of the regular people. You know, we hear about Malcolm and Martin, but do we hear about the regular people who are affected by things that were the catalyst for revolution? And it's interesting because these little girls didn't know that on their way to choir practice that they would change the world. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. It's amazing, man. It's uh, It stops me in my tracks, man, because 
you know, if we're not doing this kind of thing as filmmakers, as an artist, if you're not really tapping into the tapestry of history mm -hmm. for your own culture, you know, at some point, what are you really doing? But, but I mean, I feel like we're at a point now where it's kind of hard for us because there isn't a lot of history out there. Like, if Spike Lee's the only one making movies about the black historical experience and stuff like that, we have that to draw from. But what else do we have? It's not in abundance. And I feel like that's I think it. Problem. I think it is. I, I think, think it is, too. Uh, yeah, I just think we don't know where to look for it, or some of us yeah. maybe don't even care. Henry Louis Gates is out there telling us about ourselves from inception. Mm -hmm. Shout out to him. He has a he has a documentary coming out at the end of the month that mm -hmm. I can't wait for. But I, I think that people don't care. Well, I think I think that it's just submissed within a, within mainstream culture. It's not like, uplifted. It's yeah. not easily accessible. It's not promoted. But you understand mm -hmm. that that's like... Not seeking it out is part of the systemic sort of like submersion. You understand mm. what I'm saying? Like, like we have you have to, you know. Young Leezy gave the best point. You got to go and talk to people. Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's stories like I'm mean, the move I mean, tragedy. I had no idea about until I watched um, the Mumia documentary, and then I was like, whoa! It happened and in my mom's neighborhood. It happened mm -hmm. in my lifetime. Like, yeah. what was that? 1987. Right. 86, 87? I, I thought it was in 70. No. It was in the 80s when they yes. bombed the Osage That was Avenue. in like, yeah, that was, mm -hmm. that was 86, 87. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. I'd love mm -hmm. to sit down and talk to your mom. Right, but talk. like, you know, those types of things, like no one's talking about the mood tragedy in your history class. They're like not telling you about the police bombing a house and then like burning down an entire neighborhood in, mm -hmm. of, in Philly in the 80s. In the 80s, that's And, crazy. and I, when I asked my mom about it, she was like, that was very much what it was like to be a black person in this country at the time. And I was like, this was not the '60s. This happened. Right, it's the 80s. This, I was alive, yeah. and no one. I don't even think of the '80s that way. And you know, the '80s was like breaking in rainbow bright punky right. booster. Like I didn't think right. of like black people's liberation being like a pervasive theme at that point in yeah. our history. We were still we very much struggling. <laughs> yeah, we had the Cosby's. <laughs> Like I'm it, still very much struggling. Crazy. But, but yeah, yeah, even that Soul City, when you talk mm -hmm. about the city that was founded, you know, like supposed to be like a black city mm -hmm. in North Carolina, like the upper portion of North Carolina, Soul City, you got Black Wall Street. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got so many things that are like... I believe John Legend is is, is doing a Black Wall Street project. Oh, nice. John Legend has been attaching himself to a lot of shit. I really trust him to do it at mm -hmm. this point. At, after he brought us underground, I was like, you're okay with me. Never watched it, but it's yeah. It's really I, I good. good Watch it. it. But um, so yeah, his documentary film work. You bought a that was just really good interjection there, um, Jesse. If any of you guys want to, I unfortunately to... just haven't seen. It. You've seen none of his documentaries. I have seen not a single one. Yeah. But I, you know, you ain't the... watched Eyes on the Prize or nothing. I'm just joking. But... <laughs> but you know, I mean, I still agree with that. I like that he's willing to touch on these subjects. Mm -hmm. You know, someone's got to do it. Yeah, someone's got. I trust him to do it though. It... From a documentary perspective, there are things. There are some things that maybe I don't trust him with, um, from an artistic perspective. But having this conversation as we have, you know, maybe I should. Right. It does sound like his documentary work is. You guys are all kind of in agreement in its inception that it's executed well, very well, very well. And it, well, at the very least, even if it wasn't, it's extremely informational. Mm -hmm. You know, it has it has a lot of value in that in that respect. Uh, you know, and and, and he. The, a lot of the things that you don't like about mm -hmm. his films, mm -hmm. it, they, it doesn't happen like that for his documentaries. You Maybe know? I should look into his documentaries. You really I should. I feel like he would love his documentaries. Yeah, you really mm -hmm. should. I you think know? if you liked 13th, you'll enjoy um, his two Katrina pieces. I think Very you'll much. enjoy Four Little Girls. Okay. 
I don't know how much you care about Bad 25, but it's dope. <laughs> but yeah, I think you would enjoy it. I, there's nothing about those that I, I feel like you'd be turned off from, but we'll revisit that after you watch them. Right, there you go. I so, feel like they're on HBO Go this month. They they pretty much have, have most of Spike. To secure things. <laughs> you are forever draw snitching on yourself. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I think I, I, I noticed that like, there, um, like all of M Night Shyamalan's movies are up, and there's quite a few Spike Lee movies up right now okay. on um, on HBO Go. Well, so I, yeah. and I think you can get pretty much their catalog of documentaries on HBO Go. Mm. So I'd say all of those, well, the three of those, um, if God is willing, the creek don't rise, and when the levees mm, broke, yeah. and four little girls are probably all available all the time yeah, on HBO. I think they are because I want to say HBO was behind when the levees broke and. All of those were premiered on HBO, all three of those. Yeah, so the, yeah, I think that's just content that's going to stay up there. Yeah. Um, all right. Um, so I think it's pretty unanimous. Yeah, we Spike love him as a documentary film. We love him. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Moving on to the big fun the, the, thing. The big fun category, which is how the fuck did we get here, right? <laughs> I think I think <laughs> Martin's bracing to talk about old boy. Like <laughs> I'm in it too. Yeah. So just to ugh. recap what this category is, you know, this is the category for the films that don't necessarily fall into the statement pieces. They don't fall into the black experience pieces. They don't fall into his documentary work. This is him stepping outside of what his brand is. Yeah. Yeah. To some degree. And is hitting us with something a little unexpected. Um, And the movies that we have on that list are summer of Sam inside man, girl six, old boy and the sweet blood of mother oh i almost went crazy on that one <laughs> the sweet blood of jesus i mean if you watch the movie you're not gonna feel bad about it so. right. did you watch the sweet blood of jesus that movie oh, it. it's like it a is vampire. a okay there was a <laughs> hey i'm wikian so <laughs> there's a black exploitation film called ganja and hess that he wanted to remake and he crowdsourced it and so it's about vampires oh you, yeah all right which the, could have been so oh, much cooler. It's not cool. even the. It's duh. Duh. Sweet duh. blood. Duh. Sweet, sweet blood, blood of Jesus. D A. The sweet blood of Jesus. Um, oh, man. I watched it. It came on Netflix. Is where I, yeah, it was on Netflix. Is where I saw it. So movie sucks. Um, but basically, it's about um this. Is he a professor? They keep calling him doctor. I'm not sure if he's a professor or an actual doctor because I don't remember because I've seen it once and I was just kind of like, what the fuck? But basically he like uncovers this, he finds like this artifact, this African artifact and he becomes a vampire and he's like, um, falls in love with this woman and she becomes a vampire and then they're like trapping women. There's like lesbian sex and, but my five this movie sucks, but my favorite part, Felicia Pearson, better known as Snoop from The Wire, is in the movie trying to behave like a femme and be sexy, and it is the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. Wow. She's a hooker, and she sits not down next to him. Um, is, is he Dr. Hess in the movie? I think so. Um, We've got a Dr. Hess green. Dr. Hess green. Played by <laughs> Stephen Williams. I don't know who he is anymore. I couldn't place his face. But she she sits down next to him in the bar and she's like talking in a low sultry voice and she's got on makeup and like a bad wig. Oh, wow. And she's like, you can do whatever you want to do. And I'm like, ew, you're so not a femme. And it is like watching a stud play a femme is like 
the funniest shit I've ever seen in my life. But of course, he like gets you get to see Snoop's titties in this one. <laughs> really? Yes. You get to see <laughs> this Snoop's movie titties? is wild. Yes, you that get to see Snoop's. <laughs> you weird. Everybody watch the Sweet Blood of Jesus because you get to see because Snoop's you get titties. To see Snoop's titties. Do you forget that Snoop has titties? But um, right. I mean, I love Snoop. I think she's great. I'm so glad that she's had the opportunities that she's had as, you know, a, a, a queer woman from Baltimore. Can, can I just get into a confession? What? I think Snoop is cute. I think she's cute too, but like a little brother. Like if she was an actual boy and she looked like that, I would not be interested. But like. Like if she if she put her head back, hair back in a ponytail and was like, you I like men. I'd be like. You know what? I have some I'll pictures on my phone go. of her that I'd, I'd like to show you then. Yeah, but, um, she, she's she's she can get. Well, it if to you me. remember when she was first introduced on the wire, she was dressing like a girl. Oh she yeah, she had like yeah, baby yeah, fat yeah. and whatnot, and yeah, parasitos yeah. and all that good stuff. Yeah. So she, she had her hair pulled back in the ponytail. She, cute to tell she me was gangster as fuck though. Yeah, she gangster shit. In the wire. Yeah, but there's. <laughs> I don't want to, yeah, I'm going to ruin it because it's fucking funny. So after he like bites her in the neck and she's supposed to be dead or whatever, like she's laying there like covered in blood and she like wakes up from being dead and she's like, you killed me. <laughs> no. With her titties out. Killed, you, you killed it me? You, no, you killed it me. <laughs> yo, he does that. Like, yo, there's, so there's a scene in 25th hour. We, really, 25th hour is not on this list. That's crazy. Nah, I just forgot to type it. It should be there. That's crazy. There's a scene in 25th hour where it goes back to show how Monty meets... Um, Natural, um, natural, and you know, you know, she's Dominican, and she's with her Dominican friend, and they're and they're having like a converse. The two Dominican girls are having a conversation before Monty walks up, and she was like, "I never liked it to him." Like, <laughs> shit, it's, so, it's so funny when he does a little shit like I that. I never liked it him. Yeah, because I know girls who talk like that. Me too. I never liked it that motherfucker. You know what I'm saying? Like, I like, like the little it, wrist thing. You did like there. it, the, yeah. The little, you know, yeah. like he, it. he was he was giving us Spanish girls sauce. Realness. I was giving y'all sauce right there. <laughs> Yeah, like it did. We can we can we can talk about twenty fifth hour since I'm the only one who's seen the ridiculousness that is this sweet blood of Jesus. But please, if this comes back on television at any point, or if you have access, like Corey likes to dry snitch on himself and say that he does, please Listen, watch this shit. I, I've just said that I have ways of acquiring movies. He knows a guy. Yeah, he knows <laughs> a guy. You know, I didn't say anything. You're implying that I'm implying mm, dry snitching. I mean, you're telling on yourself more. Right. <laughs> more. So, all right. Summer Sam. Does, how many people actually remember Summer I've Sam? I've seen Summer Sam. I remember the movie. I, never, I didn't see it, though. Yeah. Oh, we're going to skip over 25th Hour? Well, I figure we just deal with the list first and then go to 25th Hour. All right. Hour. We can talk yeah. about it. Is Clockers on the list there? No, it's not. No, we Damn. Left I thought 25th Hour and Clockers was... I'm sorry. I did a shitty job of typing no, the list. No, you made the list. It's not a problem. It's, I mean, at least you made the list. I made I mean? the list. I'm wrong. Huh? <laughs> so I okay. forgot something. I did something wrong. Oh. Treasy can die now. She said the words I'm God bless you. God I thought bless you were going to yeah, jump on that. Uh, she did it. You know, she just did it, and I wasn't ready for it. But now I, I see that ha ready. what happened. I, I appreciate it. It was anticlimactic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But anyway. So Summer Sam, I, I don't really remember it enough to really talk about it too well. But the serial killer. Mm -hmm. I, I know. Yeah. David, David Berkowitz. Berkowitz. Yeah. I, the I son of Sam killer. It's it's about the summer when he was killing people. Right. And there it takes place in Bensonhurst, Brooklyn. Um, was it Bensonhurst? Yes, it was. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. You didn't notice all the racist Italian people. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's like anywhere in New York, though. <laughs> Let's keep it Bensonhurst is like, that's what it was known for during that time right. frame of just being like a really racist Italian neighborhood. Right. Um, and so notable. So, interestingly enough, John Leguizamo is playing an Italian in this movie. It's so weird. Right. 
so strange. No. I would believe he was Greek. At no point do I think John Leguizamo was Italian. Oh, I get what you're saying. Okay, I'm with you. I'm with you. No, it doesn't work. I'm with you on that. I, I, I see what you're saying there. He's married to Mira Sorvino. Um, Adrian Brody is in this one. He took mm-hmm. some real risks of being fucking weird in this movie. Mm. Um, John Leguizamo is Colombian. Thank you. I know he ain't Italian. All right. So anybody else can contribute to the Summer Sam conversation? I wanted it to be more about David Berkowitz than it actually was. Right. Um, Like David Berkowitz was the backdrop of the movie. He wasn't really the subject of the movie. Um, I think uh, the part that resonated with me is like groupthink and how it can, you know, people can have a herd mentality. Mm -hmm. And Adrian Brody's character kind of like breaks off. It's like this group of Italian guys, you know, in the neighborhood. And um, he kind of breaks off off from the group to he gets into some weird like sex performances um and then they decide that he's the killer (laughs) and beat the shit out of him and they have no reason to really believe that he's a murderer they know him as a person but they bit onto the idea that it was he was something to be feared and that they needed to handle him which i think is very interesting in terms of like how propaganda works um, among people in their herd mentality mm. to be able to attack people when it doesn't really make sense to do that. You have no reason. You, what, your reasoning is not substantiated and you know that, but you've decided to believe something. Right. You know what I'd be interested in knowing is how Italian Americans feel about Spike Lee handling that material. They keep being in his movies. Well, of the course. The Turturro's I mean, like him yeah. and, um, <sighs> I, I know people's names. <laughs> I promise I do. Right. The guy from The Sopranos. Um, Which one? Tony Soprano? No. The nephew. Oh, Michael Imperioli. M- thank you. Michael yeah. Imperioli. He keeps being in the movies. Right. Um, well, well, I mean, I mean, you know, that's you employing people. Like people, whether they agree with you or not. But these are depictions of work. people in their community. Right. But I wonder And they're how... lasting and iconic depictions. Well, maybe not Summer of Sam, but definitely in Do the Right Thing and, and Jungle Fever. Those are iconic depictions of Italian Americans in yeah. New York. Yeah. But what I'm, what I'm trying to say is that like it, there's a different connection there. Like. They're they're people. They're hired guns. They get paid to act for things. So obviously, you know they, you know that's the whether or not they connect with the material. That's that's kind of a bot. You know you hope that they connect with the material, but it's a paint gig. You know I think we can't underestimate that sometimes these people just want a paycheck. That's how you get sometimes. You know Debbie Mazars in his movies. Like there's a there's I mean Mira Sorvino's in it. But you're you're not really disproving what I'm saying. That's I'm not trying to disprove what you're saying. I'm just saying like I'm just talking the, about the Italian actors that he has in his movies are not like bullshit Italian actors. They're working Italian actors that don't have to do his movies to get a check. If we're being realistic, um, see, I, I don't, I don't know. I think it's they I work, think... they work, they work in their own movies. Like Italian Americans have a genre of movies, and they're pretty successful. And there are people that do employ them. They don't have to be in Spike Lee movies. That's not something they have to do. Um, so I'm, mean, not, Debbie, I'm not. Debbie Mazar, however you pronounce her name, I don't. Debbie Mazar's not working now, but at the point where she was in that movie, she was working. I don't think. I don't think she's ever had like a really steady career. She was working. Um, I remember. She's so funny looking to me, so I don't forget her face. Right. But 
and she's been in three of his movies, I think. I guess what I'm trying to say is, I wonder how like a Martin Scorsese or like a. So do it. Okay, so the, to be fair, like these are people in the artistic community, right? So right. which and they tend tend to be liberal anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if they speak for you know Italian Americans at large. I think that in the same way that black people are not a monolith, and some black people might have a way that he portrays us in a the movie, they might have a have an opinion. But I don't know what their opinion at large is. Right. Well, that's all. That's all. I'm, that's why I proceeded it by saying I would be interested in knowing. I'm interested too. Yeah. There we go. But I know that I know that notable Italian American actors continue to work with him. Right. Agreed. That we can't John Turturro is a beast. Shout out to him. Yeah, that we can't agree on. All right, so Summer of Sam, not much there. Inside Man. That's the shit. So, you know, you, we said, how do we get here? Or how the fuck do we get here? Or what the fuck? Um, that doesn't necessarily mean a bad thing. Inside Man just didn't really follow the brand. Not at all, but I love it. Brand. It's great. Right. I, yeah, I love, I love Inside Man. I'm just, I don't think it's that great. I'm what? just glad that you pointed it's just a it out. I love Clive Owen. Clive Owen's cool. I'm glad that you pointed out that it was a studio film because I didn't know that. Right. Like just going into it, I was just like, this feels different. Right. It's a and remake it, too, I believe. Mm. Is it? I believe so. He didn't write it, but I think it's a remake. Okay. I could totally be wrong. Right. But I, I feel like I, we can do the Googles. My, I don't have my phone's dead. But what were you that saying, means Justin? you just is. <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, you're good. But you said that you're glad that I pointed that out. Well, yeah, I was just kind of glad that you pointed it out because I was wondering why it was so different. It was when I was watching it, it didn't feel like a Spike Lee film to right. me. Well, like I was saying before, though, he snuck in some Spike Lee Easter eggs. There's definitely yeah. the wake-up moment. Mm-hmm. There's definitely the dolly shot. If mm-hmm. you pay attention, when they bug the pizza box, if you look at the pizza Sal's box, pizza. it says Sal's famous yeah. pizzeria on it. <laughs> so he's like, don't forget this is Spike mm-hmm. Lee, right. bitch. Right. And then um, there's references to baseball in it. And then right. he put his people that he likes to use in it. You know, Chuya Giafora, the first time I remember seeing him was in She Hate Me. Um and the first time I remember seeing him in any, he's probably looking like you don't even remember. I don't remember. He's the him whistleblower. And she hate me. He's the when they talk about Watergate and she hate me. Right. That's Chewy. Um, who I adore. Yeah. And I, then, love I mean, him. it's Denzel. How do you not love right. Denzel? Right. I feel like the cinematography and I feel like his his use of score is very unique as well. Like, did did Terrence Blanchard? Um, I don't know. Score that movie. Also? I don't. I don't know. Google it. But it has that, you know, it has that like real proud, like New York American feel, like with the big horn section. The big horn. I think I want to say it's Terrence Blanchard. That's that's possibly. typically who he's been using. Possibly, yeah, possibly there. But yeah, I like I I could tell from the cinematography that, you know, it 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 was you know I that was the connection for me. Like mm-hmm. the cinematography is really Spike Lee esque, even though I think. He was using who Arnofsky uses um, for that film. The, oh, I think he's a Filipino dude. What is his name? Yeah, he did Iron Man. Yeah, he did Iron Man. And, and I really like him, so I'm really mad that I can't remember Matthew his name. Matthew Libatique. Yeah, Libatique, yep. Now you know how I feel. Yeah, Libatique, yep. He used Libatique in that one. Um, oh, I wasn't going to say anything. You don't have an opinion about Inside Man? I mean, it's it's cool, but it's not really like a... A traditional Spike Lee film. It's like he's a director for hire. But I like I, mean, I like what he did though. Another director. I I'm I'm with you. Like it just didn't do anything for me. Like I just watched I mean, it. I liked and it. Was it like was cool, cool movie that, to watch. But yeah. I don't really like exactly. 
It was just I, I watched it and I was I don't I was watch done it with and it. it doesn't it doesn't add really add to Spike Lee's filmography or add to his like his modus operandi, like his like what who he is, it doesn't really add to it. It's just like oh, okay, he could do a studio film and execute it well. But I think that matters to say like yeah. that he's not a one trick pony. To right. to say that I can do a studio film and I can direct something that I didn't write and, and it still be just decent. It. it just didn't blow me away. Like I just I really liked it. Yeah, me too. It just didn't do much for me. All right, so let's go ahead and segue into old boy because I know you've been itching to do it. That shit caught me completely off guard. Yeah. I, I we we spoke earlier and I just I, I, I'm not gonna go down the road that some movies don't deserve remakes because that that's an argument that'll never end. But it's just literally a remake. I I, I don't know. Like I mean. We do that with like Asian cinema, though. We yeah, don't I mean, I, I was any creativity to it. I was a big fan of the original, and you just remade it. Like, so when I watched it, I just was like, "Cool!" Uh, I just watched the same movie that I've already watched. It's not exactly the same, but it, it follows it's it. Virtually the same film. Yeah. So there's a white guy in the lead. <laughs> like, I mean, the ironic part is, I thought Josh Brolin did a good job. I actually thought he did a good job of being that character but then you know and then the big twist is the same thing like it's, did you want it to be something else yeah because, because it was I an american version be, you know, like, i think in in interviews they said it was going to be something else like they they misled us to think it was going to be like a different twist for just to get people who watched the original to watch the new one when did it come on your radar though were you like aware of it before it came out because i promise uh, you yeah. i put in spike lee on netflix to see what spike lee movies were there and that one popped up and i was like oh i've never seen this before i've oh, never yeah. heard of this before it, no, spielberg was, was attached yeah, for spielberg many many years to, yeah. to, to remake it spielberg yeah, i wouldn't yeah. say many many years there's not that He's long like, of a period like, between the two movies about it in like 0708 remember when Gene, did old boy come out Remember Gene, you know, he's all Asian all day. Yeah, you're right. Yep. That was at the Ghent living room. So You're right. You're actually very, very right. Yeah. It, it, I, I remember having the feeling then when I saw Spielberg was mm -hmm. attached to it. I remember saying to myself, like, we legit do not need an American old boy. It does go down. This is one of the few times I'm thinking, like, this movie didn't need to be remade. It There's just, just so many lanes that... That just led to its failure. Right. You well, know? here's okay. So Martin's previously made the comment that we need to watch more foreign films, and I am the reason you have an American old boy because I don't want to fucking read subtitles. And if you're not gonna no. dub that shit in English, I ain't watching it. So like that is the reason that we get those. We have all of our horror films at this point are remake of like Asian horror films, poorly executed, you know, for Amer for an American audience. And I feel like it's for that reason. And a lot of them don't, like you said, it's exactly the same thing. What's like one missed call? I watched that. I guess like is that a Korean movie? I watched the dubbed version of that one. Mm -hmm. And then like the American version, it like all of the death scenes are exactly the freaking they didn't do anything differently other than put white people in it. Right. I mean it, I mean, but we are biased. I'd love to talk to someone who never saw the original. Because I that, hadn't. That would I, be I've not seen you the never original. Never saw the original. I've seen parts of it. I was like, "Oh, it's a remake," but I didn't realize it was a remake of Asian cinema. Well, then, so, what was your opinion in the film? Based on the I thought it was creepy had... and weird, and what the fuck was happening. But oh. then, once I saw, it made me feel better. Once I saw that it was a remake, because I was like, "Oh, so Spike didn't dream up this disgusting shit." Oh, right. So, <laughs> so right. that that made me feel better, but. 
<clears throat> in terms of like the movie itself, like I wasn't mad at it. I didn't love it, but I wasn't mad at it. And you guys seem to really like the original. The original is amazing. It's a, great. It's film. a masterpiece. I, I, I'll watch it. it yeah. It's still available to me to watch, and I will watch it. But just it's reading through fucking subtitles. It's subtitle. kind of more realistic. Like the, the, the way they do it, and the lead actor is not like an American movie star. He looks like a middle aged Asian guy. Right. You know, that Josh Brolin doesn't look like a middle aged white guy. <laughs> yeah, but it's Josh Brolin. He's, he's yeah. a movie star. You know what I'm saying? He has yeah. a movie star quality. Is that guy, is the actor from the original, um, what is it, Park Chan Wook? Is that his name? Oh, uh, no, that's the, the director. I know, but from that version of the movie, like, is, is that actor a, a um, notable actor in that culture? I think sure. he is. He probably is, I but I don't is. think he's in, like, a lot of other. Chamu uh, Park's film, so right. I keep saying his name he's backwards. <laughs> I mean, he's kind of like he's he's kind of short. He's overweight. He's kind of he's got like I wouldn't say kinda, overweight. He's out of shape. You know? In the beginning, like, he looks like, like a like a just kind of a normal person. When I turned it on at first, because of the very opening scene, I was just like, "What the hell? This is different <laughs> from the other version." But um, I haven't gotten through it, and like now that you guys have told me it's exactly this, I will watch it to see like why you guys like it so much more. It is hard to review it because we we know something really fucked up is coming. That, it's not it, the same, you're not. Yeah. So I mean, it's hard for us to review the film. So the reasoning, like, in the reasoning for like the fucked up thing that happens, is the same in the original. Oh, it's the same movie. It's the exact same. Same. Film, yeah. So when I watched the original, I had no idea that was coming right away. I had no idea. I had no idea it was coming when I watched the American version. I watched that one first. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. It's so fucked up. So You you made it to the end? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. No, I I watched the Josh Brolin version all the way through. Okay. And that's how I came to it because I was looking to see what Spike Lee movies were up. And I was like, oh, I haven't seen this one. When did he do this? And then I watched it and I was like, oh. But- Right. I know what's gonna happen. I I know how it ends, and yeah, the then Korean one ends the same way. Yeah, I I just thought maybe they did something differently. I didn't realize it was exactly the same. Um, but I tried to watch the Korean version of it, and I will finish it. I've got I've gotten through the scenes where he was being held captive. Yeah, it it just didn't. I I'm just on cue with like it really didn't need to be remade. But to hear you say it, you probably would have never watched it had he never remade it. So I definitely wouldn't have. I guess that makes sense. I would just be interested into what about that story made Spike Lee say, "I gotta do this." You know what I'm saying? Could've like been a studio maybe. thing too. They could have just. But see, we keep saying studio. I think he went crowdsource funding, so it could for been old boy. Yeah, that didn't that didn't look anything like the other shit he's crowdsourced. Yeah, but I mean, you know, yeah, I, th- I, I don't. You need to watch the Sweet Blood of Jesus and make a fucking comparison. Oh, no, because if it's anything like Red Hook Summer, which I'm sure is probably worse production value than Red Hook it's Summer, it's not. It's better. Oh, Red Hook Summer was awful. Red Hook Summer is probably awful. the worst piece of shit I've ever seen in my life. It's worse than the Sweet uh, than the Sweet Blood of Jesus. The people in the Sweet Blood of Jesus can at least they can act. Oh yeah, the acting. <laughs> so, oh my god, was horrible. It was man, Red Hook Summer. I, well, Red really Hook Summer is about redemption and like paradigm shifts, but that movie is 
ass. I, I want to know who the casting director was for that movie that thought that those children needed to be there. Yeah, I don't want to rip them because they're children, man. I don't want to. They're with not kids self-esteem. anymore. How long ago did that shit come uh, out? Yeah, they're grown but, now. They can handle it. Oh my god, <laughs> man, that was. You know, in the how world. do you become better? Yeah, I mean, well, you know, Kovacine wasn't available. Like, um, I don't think she was born yet, but um, she might have been like two. Red Hook Summer came out. I'm, like, I'm joking. Oh, I'm like, and those kids now. were considerably older than she was at that time. Yeah, She's true. probably the age that they were now. Right, that's true. But yeah, that movie was a piece of shit. I, I will go. Any all of y'all seen of Red, Red Hook Summer? I have not seen Red Hook. Summer. It's terrible. Nah, I didn't watch so, it. so let me tell you the. Aside from those horrible children not being able to deliver lines, I didn't understand why Mookie and Nola Darling needed to Thank fucking you. show up. Thank you. Another character named Mookie? No, no it's, it's Mookie from Sal's Famous. Yeah. And Nola from she's but but in this movie, Nola is like a church mother now. That's my face. Why are you making that face? Uh, like how when did Red Hook Summer come out? Oh, two thousand ten, maybe? Yeah. So Spike Lee still did Moogie in yeah. 2010. Now here's where here's where I totally agree with you in terms of like forcing things and that I feel like ass. I feel like that movie is the personification of everything that you would hate about a Spike Lee film. Mm-hmm. But you haven't seen it. But you haven't seen it. So for you to have those convictions without seeing Red Hook Summer mm-hmm. is weird because Red Hook Summer to me is the obvious glaring sort of piece like, of shit that I, he's made. If you saw that and you saw nothing else, I would totally get why you didn't like Spike Lee. You know what I'm saying? Like this shit is just a fucking. I'm horrible. just surprised you. I'm still hearing Mookie in 2010. Well, but see, this is the thing go. though. Mookie yeah. still works for Sal. All right, guys. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, yeah, and he's still yeah. wearing the same outfit, and he's delivering pizzas still. But it's in a different different neighborhood. In Red Hook, yeah. I mean, I guess he rebuilt in Red Hook. I'm guessing. That's I don't know. Explanation. Yeah, the Sal. All that sounds super forced. Well, we yeah. know that Sal's is still around because he's delivering pizza in Inside Man. So like, right. I mean, I could have accepted that as an Easter egg, not a. Not uh, trying to be funny, but there's a South Famous Pizzeria down the freaking street from where we are now. (laughs) In Virginia. There's a South Famous Pizzeria in many cities across No, I I know that, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm agreeing with you. Mookie did not need to show up, and I'm very disappointed that Mookie is still delivering pizza. Like, 20 years. 20 plus years. Nola is. Nola, I'm disappointed with what he did with her, too. Like, she's now a church mother, and she was like this liberated feminist, and now, like, she wasn't able to hold on to that. So, like, they keep calling her Mother Darling, but it's Tracy Camilla John. She's supposed to be Nola. So mad. Terrible. Not Red Hook Summer. Is the epitome of like, please don't. If you've never seen a Spike Lee film, do not jump into Red Hook Summer. Like, ease into that piece of shit so that way you don't judge him completely off of that. I feel like Red Hook Summer is his. Retroactively change the message of um, she's got to have it then. I don't think so. I think he just thought it would be cool to put some characters back in the movie and he fucked it up. I don't think he put that much thought into it. Yeah, he was just like, you know what? I think these people want to see Nola and Mookie. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Is, is this like his triple X return of Xander Cage? I've never seen it, but it sounds like possibly. I would defend that movie, though. Which but, one? Return of Xander Cage? I would, though. I can't defend skiing through the forest. Man. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, ridiculous. it's like so ridiculous that you just laugh like at I what's on screen. I get it. I, you know what though, I was actually when I saw that he was making another movie with kids in it, I thought we were getting another Crooklyn. Another Crooklyn. I thought sack. we were getting an updated Crooklyn. So when I saw Red Hook Summer's trailer, I was like, "Yay!" And right. then when I watched the movie, I was Let like, "What go. have I done with two hours of my life?" Right. 
I wish I, I would. But you back. know the 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 other part of the story. What's the actor's name? His name I don't actually know. But the guy from The Wire who plays the grandfather in the movie. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I don't I don't remember his name either. But he played um, yeah. He, he was in Treme, the... and he was in The Wire. Yeah, what is his name? Well, He's yeah. a really good actor. I like him. And I think that he acted circles around everybody else who was in that movie. Agreed. And the twist, there's a twist and a big reveal in that movie about that particular character. Yeah. Which I, to me was the point of the film. It was the point of the film. The film's about redemption and can people change and do, you know, the further you run from your sins, like, you know, the more exhausted you are when they catch up with you type right. situation. And just because you, I mean, I feel like, like, I don't know. It's like, it's kind of like Nate Parker. Like you got to live on and get everything that you wanted. And guess what? I'm going to here to remind you of this thing you did a long time ago. That right. was really fucked up. No matter how much you've redeemed yourself. How ironic that he's in that film too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damn. That's oh. fucked up. Yeah. Well, if you knew the twist, then you, you would understand. We'll talk about it yeah. off, off mic, but yeah. yeah, like I, and, and it's kind of like you like this person and he's like very like righteous throughout the movie. And then you're like, really yeah yeah and he stands to lose everything as a result of something that you know nobody knows about him and i thought that was really interesting and i feel like the movie wouldn't have sucked as badly because i don't think the script was bad aside from mookie and, and nola showing up if we took mookie and nola out and like could go back in time and put the kids from Crooklyn in this movie. It's right. a it, it's a okay. good movie. It'd have been decent. Yeah. It's just the it's not the it's not the writing. It's the execution. Yeah, which has been my thing. Well, thank you, Corey. So <laughs> so here's so okay. I, I I really love Spike Lee, but I've made this comment off air, so I'll just make it again now. I would go as far as to say he doesn't do a. I don't think he does a great job directing actors. I think when things happen that are good, it's because he has good actors. But I think I think in times where he doesn't have seasoned actors, it exposes itself. His weakness for like his ability to take command of the situation. Right. I remember seeing the Inside the Actor Studio with Samuel Jackson. Mm-hmm. He was talking about Spike Lee's directing style, and he's like, "Yeah, he just lets me kind of do whatever I want." Makes sense. Yeah. But you know what? The, and he likes to use the same actors over mm-hmm. and over. And what I've He's he's early on in his career. I mean, like Giancarlo Esposito, I think is very undervalued in terms of his 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 ability. He's right, very agreed. a very skilled actor. But if anyone knows anything about Denzel, people talk about how he improvises lines all the time. And I think Wesley Snipes is good for that. I know Samuel L. Jackson does it. And like, so I think like a lot of the good things that maybe we're catching in some of his earlier work is just them being damn good actors. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, he got he got Halle Berry in her prime and Lonette McKee like. He's got some really good people to work with. Right. Yeah. And but yeah, I, I just don't think I don't think his direction for actors is much. I you know, I just can't see it being much when I do see a Red Hook summer, you know, and 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 I'm like, man, this this movie is missing emotionally. It's missing from just like a pure technicality of acting like mm-hmm. I don't give a shit about none just how the way they delivered lines like was there a period in that sentence in the script because I it didn't sound like mm-hmm. it in the execution of it well, you know what I'm saying do you do you ever feel like Spike Lee is just like fortunate or lucky that he was like really the only major black director of his time at the time he was in his prime so he mm-hmm. basically got like the pick of the litter he got the cream of the crop whenever he made a movie whereas now there's so many other like great like black filmmakers directors producers and stuff like that 
that it's like this movie sucked. Are there? Are there really? Um, I mean, there's. I mean, okay. There's yeah, more yeah. than just him. There's more than there was because at yeah. one point it was him and John Singleton. Well, and then yeah, the Hughes brothers. Yeah, yeah. The Hughes brothers came along around but, that time too. I mean, too. in TV and film. So yeah, I think I agree with you. I mean, the, we've we've had that discussion off mic too about just many other directors in in Hollywood in general that like if you premiered today, would you be as good as you were? George right? Lucas. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I mean. Uh, I, I don't know, but I, I see the point in the statement because there's a lot of directors like George Lucas that would not be here if they came out today. Right. So Yeah, that that's that's a good question. I mean, I, I do think his timing was right. Um He caught a lot of people his, on the uptick too. Yeah, on his his career. But I, I don't think um I think if somebody came out and was postured the same way that he was when he came out, it would still resonate. You know, I think it would still resonate. Like um, yeah, I think it would, man. Um, I mean, well, I heard stories of like Spike Lee just showing up at a comedy club where like Robin Harris was and be like, yo, you want to be in a movie? And like black people would do that for him like all the time. Like right. he had that card where it was just like, Spike Lee's making a movie, so I'm down. Like yeah, Robin Harris I, is funny I, I as think fuck, if, yeah. I, I think if people, if somebody came along, like, like Barry Jenkins, for instance, yeah. right now, I think he could do that. I think I think he has the I think if somebody if somebody got a call from Barry Jenkins tomorrow, I think it would be exciting to them. Whereas yeah. before Moonlight, nobody would have given yeah. a shit. Nobody would have cared. But I think I think because of how that film was constructed and the care in the characters that was given, the care in the look of the film, just the care of the film, I I I feel like people wouldn't even question it. They would say Okay, Barry wants me to be in a film. I really love Moonlight. Let me just go ahead and do the, you know, fall back and let him catch me sort of thing. But you also have to understand a lot of the actors that are big names in Spike Lee movies, he broke their careers. Yeah, he did. Mm -hmm. He broke Samuel L. Jackson's career. I do not remember seeing him in a movie before school days. I'm sure that he was in them, but I don't remember seeing him in a movies in a movie before school days. And I'd say that his breakout performance for me was his role in Jungle Fever. Right. That's when I was like, whoa, who's this guy? Wait, so coming to America wasn't his first role. Mm mm. He had a he had a bigger role in School Days than coming to America. Yeah. Now he'll be in anything. Well, I mean, he keeps doing Spike films because you know they have their relationship. But you know, he got Denzel on the upswing and Lawrence Fishburne and yeah, I mean well, Wesley. Was in, uh, he was in Apocalypse Now. Lawrence Fishburne was? Yeah. Yeah, he was a, a young. He was young. Uh, yeah. Lawrence Fishburne was before seeing, I don't know, he was Cowboy Curtis on PB's uh, Playhouse. Oh, yeah. That's what I remember seeing him in before that. Yeah, that's interesting. But yeah, so to answer your question, I think if somebody came along that was postured like that, I think Ava DuVernay is kind of at that space. I think so too. Yeah, where right, people right, definitely Ryan Coogler. Everybody got a Black Panther right now. Very true. I'm yeah, so excited like... for Black Panther. It's gonna be the blackest, most amazing shit ever. Or it better be, or I'm gonna be so mad. Right. Um. So then, uh, the last one on this list before we jump into 25th Hour is Girl Six. Jesus, Girl Six. Yeah. So, it's been a while. <laughs> Martin keeps leaning it. back. Have you seen Girl Six? I haven't seen it. It's, it's been a Has long time. Has anyone seen me. it besides me and you? It's been a long time. Do y'all even know even... what it's about? Nope. Uh, call Girl, 
right? The no. sex line? Yes. Okay, it, that's what I meant, call girl. I'm sorry. <laughs> a a call girl is line. completely different than I a phone know. sex operator. Captain Serious, right? <laughs> Captain Literal. Cap- yeah, Captain Literal. Yeah. I'm a writer. Anyway, um, Girl 6 was really the first what the fuck moment I had with Spike. Mm. Um, I have a different appreciation for it. Pretty sure he tanked Teresa Randall's career with that movie. <laughs> um, am I wrong though? Uh, you, I think you're right. Um, who I think is extremely beautiful, by the and way, and she's still beautiful. I just yeah. know she's just me and my friend were talking about this earlier today. Like, Teresa Randall is just sitting around waiting for the call for Bad Boys 3. Like, I'm ready, <laughs> right? Um, that's funny. She is very beautiful, and honestly, the first time I remember seeing her was Jungle Fever. I thought she was mm-hmm. really good in Malcolm X. Mm-hmm. And then we got Girl 6, which has an amazing soundtrack because um, he likes to work with artists um, vocally to do like the scores of the movie, which I think is dope. He did that with um, with Jungle Fever. He did it with Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder yeah. And he did it with Girl 6. He did it with Prince. Yeah, and I'm so mad that like Prince was wasted on such a shit movie. <laughs> but we got How Come You Don't Call Me out of Girl 6, which That's is an amazing song. song. Um, but basically she's wanting to be an actress. Now, one thing that I do love about this movie is how he has an Easter egg for, um, she's got to have it in it. The monologue that she uses to audition for films is Nola's monologue at the beginning. Oh, I never caught that. Yeah. She does it at the beginning and at the, well, Nola does it at the beginning of, um, she's got to have it. And then Teresa Randall's character does it at the beginning and at the end of, um, of girl six hmm. but i really like that because of course i'm in love with nola obviously but she can't make it as an actress so to practice and to like build herself some acting chops she becomes a phone sex operator because that's really what that job is you're acting right and see the premise is dope the premise is dope she just dives off the. she falls in love with one of the guys and believes he's going to come save her and it doesn't happen and but she's also being stalked and then she's like it's 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 very interesting it doesn't really have a resolution right i do remember that i do remember that like okay. and that's the one where they keep showing the little girl falling down the elevator shaft i didn't get that either yeah it's a little too abstract they yeah. have like this i don't know if y'all remember baby jessica but like they have like you remember baby jessica fell down the well you don't remember that? Anyway, uh-uh. that's someone asked on, this is a tangent, but someone asked on Facebook, what's the oldest story that you remember making major news? And it was this 18 month old girl like falling down a well. But anyway, oh, yeah, um, and maybe it's not a wink and a nod to baby Jessica, but this little girl falls down a well, not a well, yeah, an elevator elevator shaft, shaft yeah. and she's like convalescing and everyone's wanting to talk to her or whatever. And so um, at the end of the movie, she like meets up with a little girl. It's really weird. Mm. I didn't get it, and I feel like I'm intellectual enough to get things. To get shit. <laughs> and so when I don't get stuff, I'm like low key mad, but I'm mad at him because I feel like if I don't get it, and most people I know who are relatively smart, looks like you didn't get it either, Treasy. Like, yeah, well, I yeah, I just it, it's been a while since I seen Girl Six, and I and I I haven't watched it in my adult life. So it's. I maybe need to watch it again. Yeah, I need to watch it. It's probably going to suck again. But yeah, like I just didn't. He's in that one too, like briefly. Um, Debbie Mazar is in that one. Naomi Campbell. They all play like sex, um, 
you know, sex, call operators, sex, phone operators, sex, phone sex operators, yeah. sex, sex, sex. How many times can I say that? But right. <laughs> it is horrible. Yeah, yeah. I, I do remember being confused though, but that could have been just because I was young. So I got that she got lost in what she was doing, and that was never what she intended to do. But like, I, I just feel like we could have done that a different way. Aren't they doing a TV show on Girl Six now? Mm-mm. She's got to have it. She's got to have it. Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. That, that I feel like, but you know what though? I feel like she's got to have it ba- based on, you know, my interpretation of what the film is about. I think it'll work. Right. Yeah. I think that'll actually be pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't mind seeing that. HBO don't have a problem working with Spike. Yeah, well, Spike, listen, man, Spike is quality. He, to me, I know his movies don't end up making a lot in box office a lot of times, but to me, he's a very good investment. I feel like he, he, he has a built into his contracts because like I said, he's done quite a few projects with HBO like a lot as we were compiling the list for this episode, some that I didn't even realize that he produced or directed. And so I'm thinking that he's like, yeah, I'm going to do this for you. And then you're going to do this for me. So I think he has some pull over there. Yeah, I can see that. I heard a little rumor too, man, that like for somebody who's worked on a set of his, like uh, a clause in his contracts is like, I think 85% of the crew has to be black or something like that. So like, wow. Yeah. So like, he get you know he hires black people like black to give black people black, a yeah opportunity. And, and that's true i think that's really dope you know what i'm saying well at, at the very least like it gives them the opportunity to have some experience on their resume so they can step onto another right. set with somebody who's not black right i'm not i'm not mad at it i can see how people would feel it's unfair though yeah i can see that too but I, it's his choice you know what i'm saying and, and he chooses to I, I mean, Donald Glover kind of did the same thing with Atlanta, so yeah, and I'm I, definitely not mad at that. So I mean, if, you know, if if I mean, I I can't be mad at somebody's choice for what they want to work to with, empower but. black people. I'm not ever mad at that, but yeah. I definitely can see how somebody else might be. Well, and I can also see how if like Steven Spielberg said, "Oh, I want 85 percent white people," how that would be a problem in the black community. I can but see his, that. But as well. his crew might already be 85 percent white. Could be, but without him saying go, it, explicitly. he didn't go on record saying it. You know, that'd be the. But difference. is the effect any different? It, it's not, but there's a there's an implication of like Exclusion. this is why I pref- yeah there's a difference between like de facto and de jure you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. so like it, you know that's that um so 25th hour that's one of your faves that it came really out of is, nowhere man. too that one because I was yeah. like he done made a movie with all white people it did but it you know I I feel like it was post 9 11 and I really feel like he wanted to talk about 9 11 um and he wanted to do it from the standpoint of being a proud New Yorker and that gave him a platform to do it. Um, and then you, you spoke something really interesting the other day when we were talking, which is this is sort of the mirror image to clockers Mm -hmm. to a degree because clockers was a lot more kinetic in terms of like its message. You know, clockers was another one where he banged you in the head with shit that didn't move the story along, but Yes and no, man. Clockers is a to me is about influence at the core. You know, a dope boy. Of course, they're using you know uh, Makai Pfeiffer as a as a dope boy. But like, there were so many different layers to the story. The biggest the biggest plot structure to me though was his influence over Jeter, mm-hmm. the, the young kid. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And like how the young kid really mimicked everything that he was doing. But then then and you I think the, that's a way of like people not understanding like even if when you don't want to be you're a role you're model. You're a role model, period. Mm-hmm. But then you have the other storyline of like this murder that he's taking that people are pinning on him but it really wasn't him but the reputation that he has in the hood 
you know, it, it was too believable that it was him, and it was really his brother. You did know we know? But did they ever explicitly say that it was his brother, though? We they yeah, we find out that it was his brother. I know he influences his, but he influenced his brother to kill the guy. Well, yeah, he went in there just talking all this shit. He about basically the, told me he was a child molester. Yeah, he yeah he induced it. You know what I'm saying? But his influence again. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So like, Clockers was. But was, then so, I feel like when he brings up like you got to buy you some Timmy Hill nigga, which he likes to like use that. I don't know what he got a problem with with Tommy, but Timmy Hill nigger was a thing in um bamboozle. In bamboozle, Timmy, Timmy, Timmy Hill nigger. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know him having the the kid like I got the new Timmy Hill nigger, and then he's got the kid playing the 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 video game, right? Um, and then like that mem- mirroring real life and right influence. Yeah, I really like the use of that dolly shot too when he's riding the bike and he's got the gun in the paper mm. bag and. Mm-hmm. And he kills. Uh... Clockers is not one of my favorite, but I, I and honestly, I said it was a com- like you know the mirror image in terms of like I didn't want to put it in with the black experience because it's about this dope boy and right. his experience as a dope boy. I think that blackness is a facet of that, but I don't think it's the focus. Right. In the same way that Twenty Fifth Hour is about a dope boy, it is. but it's being told from the the other side of that someone right. who's achieved real success, right. um, selling dope, but. The white guy. Yeah. Which, you know, was brilliant to me. I mean, and him having to deal with cops. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Him having to deal with cops, black cops at that. Yeah. And which is, which is the opposite of what you see in, in, in clockers. clockers. Like Harvey yeah. Keitel is being extremely racist and following uh, Mackay Pfeiffer's character around. Right. Right. But, you know, he has a way in 25th hour, especially, man, you know, of taking this guy, Monty, who is obviously a good guy, just in a shitty, in a, you know, he's a drug dealer, but albeit he's a, all around good dude, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And um, I think and, that's interesting too, though, because I I don't think that uh, what was what was Mackay Pfeiffer's character name? Strike? Was it I Strike? Strike. Strike. Yeah. I didn't feel like he was a good person. I di- I did. I, I started. You did. Yeah, I, I thought started, that he was a manipulative little fucker, and he fucked up a lot of people's lives because he was manipulative as fuck. Well, well yeah, I took it like he was just a, he was kind of a spoiled kid. You know what I'm saying? A spoiled kid that sort of transitioned into this. Um. You know, because of, I don't know, because influence, <laughs> because the dude that he was working for, uh, Delroy Lindo's mm-hmm. character, you know what I'm saying? Like, you know, like like sometimes the, the portion that they don't tell you about people that get involved with like these gang activities is they're looking to be influenced by something. And that you know was a I'm role saying? model to him in and the that same was, way right. that he was the child. It, you know, they fall into it, man. And and it just, you know, and I, I feel like it, it, it touched on a morsel of that because even though he was a bad guy, Delroy Lindo was even worse bad guy. So, you know, it's kind of like the Kane and O-Dog thing. Like, you know, Kane was a bad motherfucker, but O-Dog made Kane look like John Wayne. You know O-Dog what I'm saying? was a sociopath, but yeah. he had some redeeming qualities too. Right. So, is you know, but yeah, 25th Hour is a good character study to me, man. And, and then, you know, you put it in the confines of the his last day as a free man and the desperation that somebody will go through to, to you know, what to hang on to every piece of life that he can, you know what I'm saying? And things that he took for granted, the time that he took for granted, he's trying to capitalize on now, you know, um, you know, seeing situations different now, appreciating people different now. Um, you know, and then and still being preoccupied with how do I handle, how do I handle life after this twenty fifth hour? You know, and the whole ending to me was so 
I loved it. I loved the ending the 25th was hour. Was it really happening or was he imagining it? Yeah, that's the thing. It can go either way. Have you seen it, Corey? I've seen I've seen bits and pieces of it. So I admit, I haven't really seen it. Yeah. I think it was a way for us to feel better about the situation. You know what I'm saying? Like, because I, I want I want that to happen. I want them to detour, get off the fucking, you know, the FDR and and or the West Side Highway and and just travel west. Like, I didn't want to see him go to prison. He wasn't built for that. You know what I'm saying? He's not like like I don't think I don't think he I don't think he was built for prison. You know what I'm saying? I don't I didn't want to see this guy go to prison like that. Not Do you after feel like that whenever life. you watch movies about dope boys or you just felt that way about his character. No, cuz usually I empathize with him. I under, I'm 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 the person that I'm, if I was a lawyer, I would totally be like a criminal like defense, defense lawyer. lawyer because I see the humanity in people. Do you think that he was that that Spike Lee was trying to prove a point in terms of like over policing, um, you know, for drug activity in black neighborhoods, and this white guy played by Edward Norton being able to achieve a certain level of success and fly under the radar for the most part because he wasn't black and living in an over police situation? So I'm like very curious if that was a purposeful choice. In terms of telling the story, I, I think if that was his choice, he didn't really. He didn't. He didn't, beat, he didn't, it in he didn't our head. beat you in the head with he it. But it I wonder if that. that was a conscious choice. Yeah, I, and I think it's a thing that people don't think about because the images that you see of like a drug dealer is always Mackay Pfeiffer. Result, you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I I like that he's telling the story from another perspective. Be like, you know, these other people are involved too, and at a much lot higher level in making this amount of money, but we don't necessarily tell those stories. So I think it was genius from him for him to present it from that perspective. Yeah. I think it's probably one of those things that like he can take credit for now. Like he, like he meant to do it, but it was probably an accident, not an accident, but like I, I don't think he, the reason why I, I go as I think far he say, wanted to tell us, I think part of what you said is a motivation, but I think him wanting to tell a story about a dope boy that's white is part of it too. Yeah. But that's not all that he was, right? No, yeah, he was he was definitely more than that. And dope. that's definitely the case in real life with people who are dope boys. That's right. not all that they are. See, and that, and that to me is like, I mean, we've, we've proven this path of like, he beats things in your head when he wants you to get the message. And I totally didn't get that. So I, I, I think if that's the case, that was a byproduct. I feel like he... Why do you think it's a byproduct? Just because that's how you experienced it. Well, because I'm, I'm just I going off the Because I always think too deeply. Mm-hmm. Well, no, I'm just going <laughs> off the evidence. When he, when he has a message, he's not coy about it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And he was very... It's hard for me to attach to a message with 25th Hour. You know that that message, mm-hmm. like I feel like he just wanted a story that was a good backdrop for nine eleven. You know, to talk about nine eleven to some degree. You know, even though this had really nothing to talk about nine eleven and to talk about the stock market. He talked about a lot of things mm-hmm. that were sort of like a peripheral offset of like what was happening in the economy during that time. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. So it's like, I think that was just a good backdrop to be able to talk about that and to maintain the integrity of, you know, something that he has. He probably feels like he can speak intelligently about, you know, um, but you know, it was just an entertaining film. Like I, I, I think that's it's one of your faves. I can tell. Well, I'm kind of indifferent about it. I don't, I don't love it. I don't hate it. Yeah. I, I think it's interesting how those two films are juxtaposed, and I don't necessarily know that he did that on purpose, but that's definitely, it's definitely there. Yeah, me. it was, it was interesting when you pointed it out because I saw the, I, I saw the potential parallels. Um, that those two movies could be like a mirror image, or because they're both at least fighting correlated. against time, mm-hmm. very much fighting against time. Have you seen? Yeah. Have you seen Twenty Fifth Hour at all, Martin? 
Uh, yeah, I've seen it. It kind of reminds me of uh, Killing Them Softly to me because they're both like, it, it's it's kind of like you said, like there's a there's a crime movie, there's a gangster movie, but there's this whole other like political and social social message to it that I really like. Right. I love Killing Them Softly. Yeah, I, I love, love that movie too. I like Brad Pitt when he goes indie. Yeah. yeah. That's been him here pretty lately though. Well, except for World War Z. Yeah, well, you know, but there are so many examples. Which was a decent zombie It was a zombie movie. It was a solid zombie movie. I like yeah. it a lot. There's such a yeah. plethora of shitty ones, but yeah. it was a solid zombie movie. And then not to mention, I mean, he had an exquisite cast in 25th Hour. You're talking about Philip Seymour Hoffman, mm. Rosario Dawson, and Rosario. But I feel like he got Rosario when Ed, she Ed was Norton. fine. Like, Rosario and he got game in, in Rosario in 25th Hour, to me, is probably the best that she has looked in her entire career. Oh, man. I still like Rosario Dawson. I didn't yeah. say you shouldn't, but yeah. I'm just saying, like in terms of she's aging, her, she is, it. but yeah. she's still care. very much a beautiful woman. But I'm saying, if we're talking about her at her peak, it's right. those two films. Yeah. Barry Pepper, maybe Josie and the Pussycats. I don't know. But Brian Cox, yeah, he had a, he had a mean. I forgot cast. about Barry Pepper. Yeah, he just liked mean. him in a weird kind of way. I think we pretty much covered the spectrum of Spike Lee. I think so. So final thoughts on Spike Lee. I guess I'll go first because everybody knows my position. <laughs> I, he is my number one. He's my hero. He's my directing hero. I think he's capable of making like very impactful films. And he's very capable of making shitty films, <laughs> as we all know. But um, as a director, I totally think like m my life is, my life would be a clear distinction of difference if he didn't exist mm -hmm. and and you know my my goals and my purpose in life had he not had he not existed would not be the same I'm, I'm sure of it i'm sure of it so i appreciate him on that level um i appreciate his messages i appreciate the topics that he touches on i appreciate his willingness to to go places that a lot of people won't um i just i just don't always like his execution I think that his execution is shaky, and I think sometimes he gets so focused on the message that he forgets how to make a good film. Fair. Uh, I love that he puts like the uh, the black experience on film. Uh -huh. Like before him, like you really couldn't see the conversations or the everyday um, stuff stuff that you do on film before. So he really like he made you. He made you feel like you were a part of something. Like your your experience actually mattered. Your experience is just as important as like a Scorsese or like a Spielberg experience too. So I always love that. I like I we didn't get to talk about all his films, but I kinda like uh Sacrifice City and I like uh he got game too. Yeah. All right. Well, um for me, I mean I feel like uh Spike Lee's just like a really important filmmaker, um, kinda in our generation. Um I think without his films, I feel like we'd be missing a big part of the black experience, especially the things he's done uh, with his documentary work. So, um, you know, my hat's off to him, and, you know, I think, um, I just hope he keeps doing what he's doing. Um, I'm still a fan. Still. <laughs> still a fan. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to see him do better, though. Um, you know, I want to echo everything that, you know, you guys have said in terms of him bringing attention to black experiences that are very much a part of our culture that maybe nobody was talking about before. Um, 
and giving a voice to those things and, you know, the way we love each other, the way we hate each other and why, those kinds of things and how we feel about things and nobody ever asking us our opinion and having those kinds of candid conversations on film. I just don't understand what he's doing right now. Yeah. Maybe go ahead. I don't understand what he's doing right now. I don't understand what's going on with him, but I think that those are the kinds of things as us being like Hollywood outsiders that we wouldn't necessarily know about. Right. I don't know why he's making the choices that he's making, and it's it's a little sad to see. Um, from where I sit, I think sometimes we just don't get things, mm-hmm. and I think a lot of people don't get things, and maybe that's what the problem is, but right. I just I just, I want to see him turn it around. So that concludes our conversation about the great black American filmmaker, Spike Lee. Hopefully these conversations inspired you to go back and watch his films to review the messages that he left in his films and to maybe gather the perspective from your perspective from what he was possibly saying. Thank you for listening to these conversations. Please follow us on social media, on Facebook and Instagram at Kinda Movie Critics. That's K-I-N-D-A Movie Critics. And on Twitter at Kinda Movie Crits, C-R-I-T-S. And also subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and SoundCloud. And make sure you comment and review us. We really, really, really want to hear what you have to say in reference to the movies, the films, the directors that we speak about, and even how our podcast is performing. We definitely want to hear everything that you have to say. So please comment, subscribe, and follow us on social media because the The conversations continue outside of the podcast. So, again, thank you for listening to us. And remember, we call ourselves Kind of Movie Critics because we kind of are and we're kind of not. We're just a bunch of people that like to watch movies. This has been an On Ear Network production.